You're listening to That'll Preach, a weekly show on the Four Oaks Midtown podcast. We discuss all things culture, theology, controversy. I'm here with Paul Rizcala, my partner in crime. Paul, say hello to the world. Hello. That was terrible. <laughs> I was expecting a better you intro, to be honest. Philosophers are so socially awkward. Sir Paul Wall. Oh my gosh, Paul, what are we going to do? Anyway, we, we, all right, look, every time we Just start- Just do your hot take. All right, we, we start off our shows with a hot take. And this is an unpopular opinion or a controversial opinion that we throw at each other. Paul has no idea what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say, I feel like- Uh-oh. That look, look on your face all just right, <laughs> all right. tells me everything. Baseball's boring. Baseball's I, incredibly boring. I don't know how anyone can watch it. I, I feel like this is uncontroversial to you. I agree, but no, I agree. I could take a nap. <laughs> well, to be fair, I've, I've taken a nap in the middle of an NFL football game. I, one time I was with a friend in Chicago, and this is a football game, but we were there. Yeah, I don't think your ability to nap during something is an indication filled, of the thing's boring. It was a filled <laughs> stadium. I was there. It was a Bears versus Vikings game, and I was there in Chicago, in Soldier Field. Massive. And they were actually massive, like physical Bears and physical, physical Vikings. Physical Vikings. It's just a, it's the whole stadium is filled, and I'm sitting there, and I fall asleep. That's insane. And I think what it was is that it was so loud at such a consistent rate over such a long period of time <laughs> that it became like white noise to me. That makes and I fell no asleep sense whatsoever. Like a, like a delicate newborn in a crib. It was just, it was incredible. It How was does this relate nap. to the baseball point? Well, I think that well, yeah, you're you could napping do, thing. You could, I could nap through baseball too, but then I'm saying like, you know, I can, I love football. I nap through football game, so maybe that's not a good barometer. Regardless, though, I never understood the appeal of baseball. I agree. It's complete. It's so boring. I feel like there's not a lot of action happening. I feel like people I, people go for the nostalgia, the aesthetic of it, but it's just it's like the Beatles. People like liking oh, baseball more than they actually enjoy it. We're gonna get so just, much more hate mail. Well, bring it. But it's you, true though. What sports do you like? I think football's boring. Oh, I think soccer's boring too. Okay, Maybe I should have said that. Can you explain I, to me what's the appeal here. of soccer? Low scoring. It's just there's so many ties. What's the appeal boring. of listening to like a Mozart concerto? Those are boring too. <laughs> okay, that's exactly okay. my point. This is this is more of a that's reflection exactly on your poor, Tell unsophisticated. Me, maybe taste. I'll switch it. What is appealing and enjoyable about watching soccer? It is like watching. 22 amazingly well-trained dancers with a ball and you're watching strategy you're watching plays you're watching positioning like it's all about the crescendo too so that's what makes the goal and the goal scoring attempts more like epic because it's like you've got this slow strategic buildup of play and so when the goal arrives when it does it's just like it's Amazing. It's so epic. Like if you're there in person, when someone scores a goal, whether or not it's your team, like every, the stadium just explodes. And that is just a fantastic feeling. I just fell asleep. While you, I didn't even you're, hear what you I said. Know, I fell I asleep know. when you were explaining that. I just That's played my a point. Mozart concerto Do you know what well. it is though? It's too much delayed gratification. So this is just, a, I mean, this football you, <laughs> instant gratification. What you get That's like the wonder 11 of minutes NBA, of play for four hours of gratification. Oh, it's just so beautiful. I, it's the I'll, American way. So football's this, not the American way. Ba- basketball is like you get like high intensity action the entire game. I'll give you that. Football is like what thirty seconds of play and then like eighteen minutes of breaks. There's only like twelve minutes of actual gameplay in like the three hours that and you it's watch. More exciting than so- I, it's not, soccer it's, to me. It, they don't. It's like impossible to score. It seems like. And when they do, it's just, I guess those are kind of exciting. That is exciting. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I don't have the patience for soccer. So what we've learned over the 
recent hot takes is you have no patience. You have a unsophisticated palate and you like instant gratification and you can nap in virtually anything. Are you saying this is more about me than it is about the things I'm talking about? Yes. Uh, it's not you, it's me kind of thing. But in this case, it's you. You're probably right. I'm But I'm going right. to ignore all the evidence and just go <laughs> with how I feel and say that you're wrong. You did fall asleep too when uh, that really famous world-renowned pastor came and preached. Yeah, let's <laughs> move on. Let's move on. Let's move on from that. Look, what w- we're doing a little uh, series, a spicy little series. You always use the word spicy. I don't you do, know and it's like it makes it unspicy. Well, you overuse I've it. ruined it. But regardless, we're doing this series on the church, talking mm-hmm. about why church matters. And I think it's a really important topic because we're using it. Who, who You're so me? popular. That's so strange. It's no your mom. Oh. <laughs> Paul, it's you. What are you yeah. saying here? I secretly hate soccer, but I'm saying this <laughs> to make myself look good. Oh, interesting. Okay, look. <laughs> Back to stop distracting me. So we're going. We're talking about the church mm-hmm. and why the church matters. And you know, we got this whole COVID thing going on, and people are asking questions about how we do church when we can't really gather physically, and this thing's been dragging on, and live streaming and Zoom calls. How would this community look like? And it's a good. It's a good opportunity in this moment in our culture to think about, think critically about what it means to be the church, and maybe when this whole thing is over. We can have a better understanding because we've lacked being able to be together in the ways that are normal. Uh, a better understanding of the church once we get back together to say, hey, this is this is now that we've experienced a season of not having things normal. Once we get back together, maybe we'll have a better, more robust understanding of what we're doing mm-hmm. Sunday to Sunday and as we gather throughout the week in whatever capacities that we have. So mm-hmm. I think it's a really important topic. Hopefully it gives us a greater appreciation for the physical church as well. Like having just experienced its absence for a few months. I know I did as well. Like just, you know, when you think you have something, you just take it for granted. And then when it's gone, you like tend to grow a like great appreciation for it. You just, that's a really roundabout way of saying that you missed me. Uh, well, I've seen Actually, way too much that's of you. True. That's like, true. If anything, this pandemic has made me see you. We're not, by, by the way, everyone, we're not socially distancing. I mean, we are. We are socially distancing, but we're not like. give people the wrong impression. We're doing these podcasts live. Looking, I'm looking into Paul's uh, beautiful brown eyes right now, right? Th- th- you this notice is, that they're this brown. Is, this, is in re- this is real life. But uh, one of the things that. We've been talking, you know, we talk about liturgy, we've been talking about evangelism, all these mm-hmm. different ideas, but now we're kind of hitting the bullseye a little bit about community, the topic of community or fellowship or <laughs> life on life or whatever, you know. Connecting. Connecting, all these different words, <laughs> but we're all, it's all kind of centering around this idea that the Christian life is a corporate life. It's a life lived with each other, you know, we're, we're, we're Christians together, we're growing in holiness Together, mm-hmm. you can't have an individualistic view of the Christian life. Sometimes we think about church as the main part of the Christian life is you and your Bible and yourself in your room. And church is just a supplement to that. Mm-hmm. You have other people who help you develop your time by yourself. In your room. Now, <laughs> yeah. that's important. Reading the Bible by yourself, praying, journaling, all these things are good. But you're missing a majority of the Christian life if you just only think of it as like your personal spiritual practices as opposed to you're part of a body. Yeah. And that's really what the Apostle Paul identifies the church as in 1 Corinthians 12, right? He says that 
In 1 Corinthians 12, 14, he says, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And he talks about the ear saying the same thing and, and basically how all the body parts in our own physical bodies can't say I'm more important than you or I can live without you. We all depend on one another to function together as a cohesive whole, which is the human body made up of diverse different parts that work together but are also different in their function. That sounds really nice abstractly. Right. But, but what does that mean? Then that's what we want to nail down. I mean, <laughs> I think we all can kind of do the whole kumbaya, we got to be the church. We, yeah. But what does that mean practically? It's a great question. And Paul, give them your perfect answer. Go. I don't have a perfect answer, but I think we've been hitting on this theme, like you said, of the church, the Christian life is a corporate one. And it's one that like God is saving a people to himself, not just individuals. And so I like that way that you put it actually, that some people think of the church as like your Sunday uh, morning gathering or whatever that supplements your individual Christian life. When rather I think like scripture points that it's, it's the opposite. Like we right. should begin thinking of it the other way around. Like the main thing is my corporate gathering and I supplement that with my own individual times. But like the thing that is, is most indicative and paradigmatic, like the paradigm of the Christian life is the church life. And so um, how healthy is my church life could be a good gauge of like how healthy is my Christian life rather than like, um, am I reading the word daily or am I praying daily? Like those, those are good indicators too, but like also, am I involved in fellowship? Am I being discipled? Like, am I under authority? Am I learning from those who are God has placed in like in authority of my life? Those are also like indicators of how well your Christian life is going because you are just part of that body. Like you can't take stock of like how an ear is working by itself. You take like stock of the whole body. Right. Um, and so that like, that's more important. That's the more important question. And so, yeah, I think that's a good way of, of putting it. And people now are talking about in physical health, people talk about being holistic in their approach and that can kind of be woo woo. I don't just know what a bunch that of means. Ginger. Yeah. But, but there is a reality to that where people are saying, well, you don't just want to treat symptoms. You want to see mm -hmm. how is the whole body doing and how does that affect health? And I think there's a holistic view of the church too. Right. Not just going, well, you know, th there's certain individual issues here in the church, conflict between two people or different struggles, but also going, uh, how is the church as a whole doing? Are mm -hmm. we really dependent on each other? Are we really serving each other? Are we really caring and praying for each other? And that really is when you look at the New Testament model, or even when you look at the Old Testament, Israel is referred to as the assembly mm -hmm. of God's people. You look at the feasts, the gatherings, all the times that God addresses his people in, in Numbers and Deuteronomy. What is it? It's God's address to a, ga a physically gathered group yeah. of people. And that's the DNA of what it means to be a Christian. You're part of God's assembly. Mm -hmm. um, and that is what drives our understanding of the church. The church as a continuation of that assembly. It's God has one people from the Old and New Testaments. Now, what they look like in terms of you know, external realities, one's Israel and a, a, a geopolitical entity versus now the church, which is transnational and all that stuff, there's some difference in the external appearance, but the essence of it is still the same. It's mm -hmm. one people of God, under God, gathering together as his people to worship God. And that has to be, like you were saying, that's the paradigm of our understanding and our identity. So on a practical level, obviously we have unique circumstances today. Sure. 
But the regular, normal, healthy expression of a Christian life is being part of an assembly, a mm-hmm. physical gathering of people together at a time in a place to worship God. That is baseline. And you see that all the way through from the Old to New Testaments. But apart from just God set this up as the way to go, what if I'm a skeptic and I just go like, Ryan, like what, like, what are the practical benefits of being part of a community? Like what, what do I get as a Christian that I can't get just on my own with my Bible? Well, one, you, it's like, can you fulfill the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself, <laughs> yeah. right? Without a neighbor yeah. to love, mm-hmm. right? You think about the sacraments. You can't baptize yourself and you can't feed yourself the Lord's Supper, yep. right? I mean, people sometimes do that and they're crazy. That's not a good idea. You can't do that, yeah. right? And when you read the Bible, it says in Ephesians 4, you need a pastor. You need shepherds and teachers, mm-hmm. right? Uh, when you read Titus, it says you need older women to disciple younger women, older men to disciple younger men, mm-hmm. right? You read Timothy and you realize there are these things called overseers who are pastors, overseer, pastor, elder. They're all interchangeable. They are there to shepherd your souls. They're to teach you the word of God and to essentially disciple you on a, on a large level mm-hmm. in the Christian faith. So if you just read the Bible, it says you need other people. Yep. You can't do this on your own. So number one, you need other people so you can serve other people yep. and fulfill the great commandment, yeah. like Jesus says. And two, you need the accountability and the leadership and the guidance of people above you, whether informally with intergenerational older men, older women, older families, or officially in the in the ministers of the church. So if you want to be you and your Bible, you're not reading your Bible if you're just continually just you and your Bible, right? Yeah. You're not reading the Bible correctly if uh, you don't realize, hey, I need to be in a church. I need a pastor. I need to be around people. I like I like that point about opportunities because it highlights that you know a lot of the gifts that Scripture talks about, like Paul talks about teaching and service and. Um, these are things that you can't just do by yourself, right? So to teach requires an audience. To, to serve requires, you know, surveys. I almost said servants. That's not the right word. Surveys. You, it's surveys. Sur- surveys. <laughs> You're a servant serving all your surveys. Um, yeah, so, so church, so community provides you with the opportunity to express gifts that God has given you. Um, and as we see from the gospels, like when God gives gifts and you don't use them, like that's a pretty weighty thing. And so... Um, Community provides those opportunities to serve and get involved. And yeah, just accountability. Like you think of like, um, there's the, the example of like, you know, you take one coal out from the fire. What examples, what happens to that uh, piece of coal? Like it, it dies out, right? So you have these like, these metaphors for the Christian life that I think are just like true in general. You can't be expected to thrive on your own. Just think about like, even, even in your, if you're an academic and your discipline or in your job or whatever, if you were just doing like life as a, as a scientist or whatever by yourself, you'd end up with some pretty kooky conclusions, right? Cause you don't right. have like this community input. Um, and so having authority, having people to bounce ideas off of having people to even just look at your life and maybe like see your blind spots, right? You know yourself to an extent, but there are people who, when they see you, they might arrive at, you know, other conclusions, you know, you're not as selfless as you think you are or whatever. And so having those alternate perspectives is definitely helpful on a practical level. Yeah, I mean, there's just like, there's loads and loads of practical reasons to be part of a community in addition to God laid this out as the normative pattern for the way Christians should live. And there's an organic 
and an institutional side to it. There's the institutional side, like mm -hmm. I was saying, of where a pastor is accountable for your soul. But then there's an organ, there's an organic accountability of friendship. Oh, yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. it's just like, it's like so basic. <laughs> like sometimes we, we overcomplicate it. And it's like, you just, man, some people feel disconnected. They feel distant from God. And it's like, you don't need to go to another conference. You don't need five more books. Yep. You just need some friends yeah. to like hang out with <laughs> yeah. and to pray for you. Yep. You know what I mean? That's it. That's just, you need to start from there. And people are so isolated. Mm. I think men are very isolated. Mm -hmm. They talk about, uh, there was this, this one pastor was talking about how in his congregation, he realized there's a lot of men who they're married, they've got kids, but they feel very lonely. Mm-hmm because they don't feel like they have any camaraderie. Yeah. And one of the appeals of organizations for men like fraternities, sports teams, the military, is the deep sense of brotherhood sure. and exhortation and kind of, this is your tribe, these are your guys that are sharpening you, mm -hmm. that you can only really get from other men. That's the appeal of it. And it's unfortunate that the church isn't really yeah. listed there. Yeah. And uh, I think it's got to be more than just hanging out at somebody's house once a week for a small group. Mm -hmm. Those are great. That can, be, that can be a catalyst for more, but it's not enough in and of itself. You've actually got to have people caring about each other and willing to say, like, I'm, I'm, I want to pray for you. I want to know about your life. Let's do activities together. Yeah, you yeah. know, let's just be human beings mm -hmm. and be friends. Because life is difficult. Oh, yeah. We're going to have to face things together. Let's do that. Let's strengthen each other. Yeah. Um, but that's going to take buy-in from individuals, from families. That's going to, that's not something you can just sort of, quote unquote, legislate from the top and mm -hmm. go, here's our new mission statement. We want to be communal. <laughs> it's got to be. From the ground up. From yep. the ground up. People actually have to take that step to develop this within the context of a church. Yeah. I mean, and, and those friends are the ones that you're going to need because everyone's going to go through difficulties and hardships and, you know, God forbid tragedies. If you go through that stuff alone, like that, that has this, the, the potential to not just wreck your faith, but to like, to destroy your life. Right. Um, so the, the point of like bearing each other's burdens and, and all these exhortations that we see in scripture, that, that, that's, that's just super practical. Like if you don't have good Christian friends around you, how do you deal with like, you know, with trauma, with loss, with, right. you know, losing a job or, or miscarriage or, you know, just like horrible stuff that people go through, um, that to go through that alone is just like, is you know, 10 times more shredding than it has to be. And so Christian community alleviates and, you know, just being a presence with someone else, like all of that has hugely soothing um, implications. And yeah, if you don't have Christian friends, then you like really do just live a very diminished, impoverished life because God designed for us to live with friends, with community. I mean, Jesus himself, like he had his close friends and the Trinity itself is a perfect community of, of love eternally. So you do get these like, there's a theme of like friendship and community all the way even to the nature of God. And uh, if we're not like partaking in that, then we're definitely missing out on something crucial, not just of the Christian life, but of, of life in general. You can even think in terms of children, raising children. I mean, we don't have kids, but I mean, there, there, there's a, I think there's a biblical reality of- yeah. it takes, takes a village a to raise a child. It takes a church to raise a, a child, right? right? And you know, I, I I think it was Dr. Anthony Bradley who writes a lot of great stuff on fatherhood. Mm -hmm. One of the things he talks about is one of the teenage boys, something mm -hmm. that they need the most. It's not just their fathers to be affectionate and loving and warm towards them. They need other fathers hmm. and their sons yeah. to be gathered together, you know, to go on hunting trips together or to, 
you know, play sports together, something like that. Seeing other sons and fathers, a community of that brother. And I'm sure there's a, there's an equivalent for mothers and daughters and, and, and things of that nature. Sure. But, but there's that communal sense of, of, of not just seeing the church again as just a consumeristic tool for, for, for you, mm-hmm. but thinking as, wow, my family can be a blessing to other families. Oh yeah. You know, my family can be hospitable to people who've never grown up in a Christian home or mm-hmm. don't understand what that's like. And your kids can be the beneficiary beneficiary of that. They can see, wow, not only are my parents solid, but like my friends' parents are solid. Like this is, there, there's a, a community that exhibits what it means to be godly people. Oh yeah. And that can have a profound shaping effect because, I mean, you know this from high school, like we're influenced by our parents, mm-hmm. but we're majorly influenced by our friends in high school. Sure. And we're over at their friends' houses. Mm-hmm. So we're influenced by their family too. Now, there's, there's, that's intrinsic to how we form communities and how we are formed as kids into adults. Yeah, one, one of the most striking studies that supports this is that the number one most reliable predictor of whether or not children stay in their parents' faith is whether and how they see their parents openly practice their faith. And if parents don't have a way to like, like openly and publicly manifest and like express their faith, then they like actually hurt their kids in that way by not giving them like, by not showing them what a Christian life looks like, uh, a life that's, you know, worshipful and things like that. And also just even that, that practical point of like guys seeing other guys and seeing their friends' dads, there's an intergenerationality that's like a good, just an intrinsic good in the church. And you got to think like, if you're just doing like campus ministry, or if you just have like friends your age, you're missing out on seeing like people from all walks of life, like, like elder people, like seniors and like families and like yuppies and like, you know, college students and kids. And like, like the Christian, the kingdom of God is like comprised of all sorts. And um, if the only advice you're getting is from like your 22 year old buddies, that's not always great. Just with the campus ministry Portion. I mean, I, I loved campus ministry. It was a great experience for me. But one of the things is it, you get out of campus ministry, you get out of college, and you realize for the first 21, 22 years of your life, mm-hmm. everything community-wise was catered to you. Yep. You went through 12 years of grade-specific, age-specific, life-stage-specific things, and then mm-hmm. four more years of age-specific, life-specific things in college. Everything's geared towards you. The campus ministry is geared towards you. You know, in a lot of ways, some churches yep. can, yeah, yeah. you know, in, in the broader culture can can feel that there's this huge, everything's about the youth. Everything's mm-hmm. about the young people. And then you get out of college and- You're normal. <laughs> there's nothing for yeah. you. There's no- yeah. You know, I mean, sometimes people make it, but you know, you go to those and it's difficult. Sure. And you have this young adult to mm-hmm. whatever, and it's just like anyone from 22 to 48, you know what I mean? It's like, and and even in that group, even if it's 20s to 30s, there's massive differences in that one decade between a 33-year-old and 23-year-old. Mm-hmm. So you can't lump them all in one stage. Yeah. And then it's just, it's all of those categories are gone. And if you have that expectation a lot of times why we find you know our campus ministry is like man that's so great part of it is a little bit of a bias because everybody's like us and they're all our same age Mm -hmm. and then you walk into a church and you're like nobody's like me Mm -hmm. you know and you wonder well maybe that's good yeah Yeah, yeah. maybe what's unique about college and great about college is not meant to last forever and you need to be in a church with different generations, not just for the wisdom they can impart for you, but because you need to learn how to love people who are different from you. Sure. 
right? Yeah, yeah. And it's so much of what you think is deep Christian community is just you're with people who are just like you, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And the real work is when you realize how do I love the widow hmm. in my church? How do I love the young family with little kids in my church? How do I learn how to relate to them? How do I care for them? It doesn't mean you'll be the best of friends with them, but it's supposed to force you out of your shell, oh, yeah. force you out of the me first mindset mm-hmm. of everything's about me and to throw you into the life of other people. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I actually think that's hugely existentially comforting that like, despite- What, what about what, eggs? <laughs> eggs and tentiality. Stop it. Existential. Yeah. Existentially comforting. Like <clears throat> even when you show up and you see- Everybody from all these different walks of life, different ages, different races, different everything. People who look and go through life drastically differently than you do. Um, and yet, like, everyone is gathered and worshiping around this common source. Like, for me, that is a hugely powerful, like, apologetic. Like, there's something about, like, when everybody stands up and sings the same hymn together. You like, learn how to sing. Oh, you my learn goodness. how to pray. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, if there, if there were doubts that I had even that week, or like I wasn't feeling super encouraged, something about like, man, all of these people all have their problems too. Right. And they all, they might be worse than me. They might be better than me. Everybody is like doing this together. I'm not the only one. Right. Like there's that kind of like, you tend to feel like, oh man, I'm in whatever, I'm in this situation. No one's going through anything as terrible as me. And like, I'm the only Christian in this town. And then you show up on Sunday morning and there's 200 other people from all walks of life, people who are undergoing like tragedies and just like losing jobs and family difficulties and everybody gets together and sings like come thou fount of every blessing like that is hugely encouraging and i like draw a lot of comfort from that and that's something you can, you can only get like in that church setting well paul in ephesians 5 5 19 he says you speak to one another with psalms hymns and songs from the spirit hmm. sing and make music from your heart to the lord now notice that we're not just singing to the lord we're singing and speaking yeah. to each other. Yeah. So the singing is for the guy in the pew behind you who's mm-hmm. going through a tough time and he hears your voice yep. reminding him of these truths when he's too weak to remember it. Yeah. And you just can't get that That's good. by yourself. Mm-hmm. And again, these things form us. Think about how you pray. Your prayer, the way you pray and talk is influenced by your parents, by your Bible study leader, by your friends, all these things were formed by those practices, by by imitation. It's more, people say, think a lot of things are more caught than taught. I think it's absolutely true. Hmm. And the church is where that happens. Um, let's get practical. Yep, yep. What, what does it mean? What, how do you need to get into community? Well, one, you need to be a member of a church. Yep. All right, and you, I'm, I'm the member of the Invisible Church. Well, <laughs> Paul wrote to actual churches. Yeah, he and, did. He, and he's saying that those actual churches know who their members are. Yeah. Like they know who the people in their churches are, mm-hmm. right? If there are elders in those churches, they know exactly who they're responsible for and who they're not responsible for, right? right? right. So membership is implied in the Bible. Maybe it's not a formal thing like we have it, mm-hmm. but there's still some way of saying- Demarcating the yeah, end, yeah. You are part of this church. Absolutely. These are your pastors. Mm-hmm. And these pastors are not responsible for the people in this other church, Sure, right? There's that demarcation there. So be a member of a church. And usually people don't want to be a member because a lot of times there's sin that they don't want to be uncovered. Yeah. That's a big one. Nobody talks about that, but it's true. Yeah, yeah. Or uh, just or afraid of commitment. Just afraid of commitment yeah. and you, you have to get over that. Yeah. You can't just like jump around and church hop. Yeah, and, you, know, you can't. Settle down. You have to, mm-hmm. right. So there's, 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 that's just the bottom line. The other thing is when we think about spiritual gifts, that's a big thing in Paul's theology of 
the body of Christ, he talks about how the Holy Spirit gives unique gifts to people. He's not talking about talents mm-hmm. necessarily. I mean, he's really right. not saying like, sure. oh, you're a great singer, that's yeah. your gift. No, I mean, he lists you know, teaching, administration, right. different uh, g- gifts of mercy, mm-hmm. gifts of faith, all these things. These are supernatural empowerments that God gives to his people. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean that they're all spectacles, but there are certain things in the context of the church that you can offer. And the only way to find that is to throw yourself into serving the church mm-hmm. and you discover your gifts that way. To pray, Lord, what are the spiritual gifts you've given me that you want for me to bless this church with? It's always outward, not about yourself. And one of the interesting things is, you know, once you start to serve, you find out what your gifts are a lot of the times. And so that's really part of the theology of what the Bible says a church is. It's interdependent. We're all relying on each other. We're all part of this unified whole and we all have a part to play. And I also think, you know, when we, why do, why should we go to church? Why should we be part of a church? Well, Jesus went to church. Okay. I mean, he went to synagogue, right? Which were these little gatherings of, of Jewish people under Roman rule worshiping. But you think about in the, in all the gospel narratives of him growing up, you know, he's teaching in the temple. He's going to temple. He's worshiping corporately. He gets up in the middle of a a gathering and he he essentially preaches a sermon, you know, and he talks about all these Old Testament passages are fulfilled in me. Mm -hmm. So if you were to go up to Jesus and just say, you know, Christian is just like me and God and just by myself and just like, whatever, all these vibes I feel or whatever, he'd be like, what are you talking about? You need, to be in, you. you need to be in temple. You need to go to the temple, right? You need to gather with God's people. And, you know, I always tell people, this isn't just, I mean, this is the Bible, right? The church is God's idea. Something that he constructed and it's for our good. And I think when we neglect that, we neglect it to our harm. And so when we talk about community, we're not just talking about going to Starbucks with your buddies, having a Bible study. Do that. That's great. We're not talking about hanging out, you know, and having a, a cookout and, and talking about life. Do that. That's great. We're talking about gathering together to worship under God's word, to pray for each other, to take the Lord's Supper, to be together on the Lord's day. What do you think about that, Paul? Was that pretty good? Sounds awesome. That's all I want. I just want your, I just approval. want that approval from, from, from the great Paul. That sounds vicious. Yeah. I don't know what that means, but I'll take it. Thank you guys for listening to this podcast. Make sure you leave a review. Give us five stars. Tell all your friends about us. Share this. We'd love to get that'll preach out so that we can be uh, sponsored by Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I was waiting to see what you were going to say. Thank you guys for listening. Say.